Become a Leslie's Pro member, and with almost a 1,000 locations conveniently located less than 3 miles from your service route, you can quickly get in and out and take care of your customers. Get Skimmer, America's number one pool service software platform. Listeners of the podcast can try Skimmer for free. Visit my website, swimmingpoollearning.com, and click on the Leslie's Pro and the Skimmer banners to learn more. The Pool Guy Podcast Show. The Pool Guy Podcast Show. Hi, welcome to the Pool Guy Podcast Show. In this episode, I'm going to go over some more of your YouTube questions that you post, and I'll try to answer several of these for you here. And I think you can get a lot of very or a variety of information from these particular podcasts. Pool Service Pro, open a Leslie's Wholesale account today and receive wholesale pricing on products you use every day. Leslie's Pool Supply offers convenient locations that are open seven days a week. Another great benefit of opening a Leslie's Wholesale account is Leslie's referral program. Get referred to a customer looking for weekly pool service. Save time and money and grow your pool service route and become a Leslie's Pro. Here's the first question. I have noticed with the Pentair cells after I acid washed them, the entire cell is clean except for one little area. This area is completely covered in calcium. All the other blades are clean. I don't want to keep acid washing most of, with most of the cell clean just to get the small amount off. I tried to spray with the garden hose, but the calcium does not come off. And I've seen this happen, not just on the Pentair cells, but it's also been on the old Ecomatic cells, where there's just some calcium that just lingers on there. And you don't want to give the cell another acid rinse or acid bath because you could damage the cell plates. Usually when you do the acid and water mixture, they get the calcium off. It's going to, you know, get the calcium off the plates on the cell or the blades, however you want to call them. They're technically the cell plates. And if you give it an acid bath and it doesn't really need it, this could potentially damage some of the plates on there. So to get that little lingering calcium off, you can spray it with a garden hose with one of the nozzles that are have a really fine stream on them. That usually will do the case. You can put the nozzle pretty close to it, spray it. And if you can't get it off with that, I don't recommend you trying to scrape it off with a screwdriver. I've seen some salt cells where the plates were cracked by someone trying to scrape it. And then the salt cell is not going to work effectively if you have a damaged plate on there. You have to get a new cell. So I wouldn't recommend scraping the calcium off with anything. I've seen other people use like a little metal stick to kind of scrape the cell off. Again, I just wouldn't advise doing something like that. Usually after the acid wash it, if there's a small amount of calcium somewhere, it's not going to really affect the overall function of the cell. As long as you get 90, 95% of the calcium off the plates, you should be perfectly fine. If there's a little bit of calcium lingering in one spot or the other, it's not going to really interfere with the chlorine production. So I wouldn't really spend a lot of time or effort or energy trying to get a little area where the calcium just sticks to. And I've cleaned plenty of salt cells to let you know that it's not going to interfere with any production. So don't really lose any sleep over the fact that if you can't get the cell entirely clean, you know, it's not going to be an issue. And you don't, again, want to keep giving it an acid bath to get the more calcium off because chances are you're going to damage the cell plates by doing that. Here's one that was posted on a video that I did on phosphate removers. And it says, I really enjoyed your explanation on this. I see I'm listening to this three years later. So I will ask for an update. Do you still not use it on your pool? Or do you know now use it to maintain stronger chlorine levels since the price of chlorine has skyrocketed? And I guess in that podcast, I was talking about that to use a phosphate remover when you didn't need to use a phosphate remover is a waste of money. 
However, you can use a maintenance dose of the phosphate remover to help prevent algae from forming in the pool. I wouldn't say you would need to treat your pool for phosphates if it's not necessary, but if you wanted to add a maintenance dose of phosphate remover, it is a great way to prevent algae from forming in the pool. The maintenance dose varies by product. If you look at the natural chemistry, the phosphory, it has a nice four ounce cap. It'll tell you per your pool size how many four ounce capfuls to put into your pool as a maintenance dose. And I found that to be highly effective in preventing algae. I did an experiment with phosphate remover many years ago where I treated pools on my route with a phosphate remover as an algicide. It's not a EPA registered algicide. However, when I treated the algae with the phosphate remover, like using it like an algicide, it was highly effective. For example, I had a spa that had mustard algae, and no matter how much you brushed it, how much you shocked it, even using the sodium bromide product would not remove it. So I just poured some phosphate remover directly over the spots in the spa, let it sit there for a few hours and had the system run normally. And the following week, that algae was gone. Same thing in a step area where you had where I had really persistent algae that just wouldn't go away even after brushing it with a stainless steel brush. I applied some phosphate remover directly over it and the algae was gone the following week. Again, phosphate remover is not an algicide. However, it does remove the food that algae feeds on. So it starves the algae out of the pool and that's how it's effective. And so if you're adding a maintenance dose every week to your pool, it's going to extend or enhance the chlorine because it's going to eliminate the need for the chlorine to be used up fighting algae. As you're adding the maintenance dose, you're taking away the food source for any potential algae that's forming there. And it's definitely a way to enhance the chlorine. But I would not use phosphate remover, at least not the actual dose to remove phosphates from your pool, if you don't have any phosphates in your pool to begin with. Now you can get a phosphate test. You can get your water tested for phosphates at your local pool store. You can also get test strips that will test for phosphates. And there are some photometers that test for phosphates also. But I think it's a waste of money to be treating a pool for phosphates when, in fact, you don't have that problem. But again, using the product in the maintenance dose form helps prevent algae from forming in a pool in pools that don't have a phosphate issue to begin with. I know that's slightly confusing, but it's kind of like spraying around your uh, garden or your artificial turf for weeds when there's no weeds present. By you spraying a weed killer, and by the way, I use one from Amazon as a vinegar-based weed killer that's highly effective and it's non-toxic. And so I'll spray around my artificial turf once in a while just to prevent weeds from forming. It's kind of the same concept where you're adding the phosphate remover as a maintenance dose. You're preventing potential algae from forming because you're taking away their food source. And so a maintenance dose of phosphate remover is an effective way to prevent algae from forming in the pool. I know this video is old, so hopefully you'll see this question. This is another question here. I have, This is posted on a waterway cartridge filter. I have an old Jacuzzi Earthworks 75 square foot D filter. I need to change it out. I was looking at this filter, but it's 325 square feet. My pool is small, 32 by 16, only four feet deep all the way across. Would this filter be suitable for my pool? And I would say if you're going to look for a filter, if you have a D filter and you're looking for a direct translation in filter sizes, for this particular filter, I mean, they put a good size D filter in this pool. But if you were going to compare cartridge filters to DE filtration, I would say that a 60 square foot DE filter 
is probably equivalent to a 450 square foot cartridge filter. And then if you have a 48 square foot D filter or 36 square foot, even the smaller ones, that's equivalent to a 300 square foot cartridge filter. So it's pretty easy to find the right size cartridge filter for your pool. It's not a direct correlation because the cartridge filter, the square footage area is much bigger or the area that's calculated for square footage is calculated differently. They calculate the square footage based on the pleats of the cartridge filter. And it's one of those things where one cartridge in a quad type cartridge filter, because if you get a 300 square foot cartridge filter, you're typically getting a filter that has four cartridges in there. So each cartridge filter is about 75 square feet or so, or roughly like that. And if you get a 400 square foot cartridge filter, each cartridge is 100 square feet. So each cartridge would equal about one DE filter, like a 60 square foot DE filter, probably more. And it's because the filtration area is so large because of the pleats on there. But since there's no direct correlation between diatomaceous earth and cartridge, I kind of use a rule of thumb. If you have a 60 square foot or a 72 square foot DE filter, you want to go with a four or 500 square foot cartridge filter. If you have a 36 square foot to 48 square foot D filter, you want to go with a three or 400 square foot cartridge filter. And you have plenty of filtration. If you kind of use this formula, you're not going to have an undersized filter and any cartridge filter for that matter. To be honest with you, if you have a 60 square foot D filter, if you put a 320 square foot cartridge filter on there, that'll give you plenty of filtration. The one thing you never want to do is to put a 100 square foot single cartridge filter in place of a 60 square foot D filter because you may think well 60 square feet I'm going up to 100 square feet or 150 square feet that should be plenty of filtration it's going to double my D filter size but technically it's not going to double the D filter size because it's not a direct correlation and again I think my math is probably more accurate if you're looking for a way to correlate a D filter size to a cartridge filter size Use my formula. I've been using it on my pool route for many, many years, and it hasn't failed me when I go to replace a D filter with a cartridge filter. And you just can't go off of the cartridge size and think that just because you put a 150 square foot cartridge filter in and you cut out a 60 square foot D filter, that you're getting twice the filtration area. It doesn't really work that way. Here's another question kind of related to cartridge filters. And this one is, out of all the brands, who do you think builds the absolute most durable tank? And I would say if you're looking for a cartridge filter that's going to survive a nuclear holocaust, it's going to be the Stay Right System 3. It's the black R2-D2 looking filter, not quite R2-D2, maybe like a Imperial Droid. It has those eight clamps on the side and they make a 450 square foot and a 350 square foot cartridge filter. They also make a Stay Right System 3D filter, which isn't very common in my area. It's mainly the cartridge filter, but these tanks are made to last pretty much forever. The top of the tank is extremely heavy, so they're not the easiest filters to clean. And then they have the gigantic one cartridge in there and then a smaller one in the center. And I find that these cartridge filters will last a long time. I think I mentioned before in another talk that I have never had to replace a clamp on them because they're pretty much indestructible. The only part you have to replace are, is the O-ring, which is a pretty expensive tank O-ring, by the way, and the cartridges ever so often. These cartridges will last a lot longer than standard quad-type cartridges or even the single cartridges, so you're not replacing the Stay Right System 3 cartridges nearly as often. But when you do replace them, the price of these cartridges is really prohibitive. And I would say this is one reason why these filters aren't being installed widely. 
just because of the cartridges are expensive to replace and you need a big area to put them in. Builders like to put these in as close as they can to the wall of the house or to a fence. So getting one of the clamps off is always nearly impossible. And I think that these filters do take up a lot of square footage of the equipment area. So they're not super popular in California for that reason. But they are the most durable filter you can buy for your money. So if you're looking for a filter that's going to last you 30 or 40 years, I think definitely the, the Pentair Stay Right System 3 filter is the filter for you. Here's one that was posted on my Polaris wall connector. When that breaks off and you're trying to unscrew the fitting and it's not moving. So basically the way this works, and I'll go to the question in a second, but there's a dedicated line for the Polaris pressure cleaners, also for the Pentair Legend cleaners, and the Hayward has a uh, pressure cleaner also, the Trivac. So this is a dedicated one and a half inch line for the pressure cleaner and it's threaded. And then you have the quick disconnect that threads in there. And when the tabs on that break off, the quick disconnect doesn't stay in the wall. And if you were to try to take this off without following my method, chances are you're going to crack it. So here's the question. It says, I tried to unscrew it without the Polaris fitting that goes inside and it broke now. I can't get the fitting out to replace it. How do I get it out? And what he's saying is that there, once the quick disconnect comes out, everyone tries to do this with a pair of channel locks or a wrench. They try to unscrew the threaded, the uh, adapter that goes into the threaded part of the wall that comes with the quick disconnect and you invariably end up cracking it and then you can't spin it out of there. The trick that I have in this video is that I actually put the quick disconnect fitting back in and you know it just this is what kind of braces the other part and you can unscrew it without breaking it. I did this I discovered this by accident. I don't think anyone had posted this before but I was trying to get one out of the wall and you know I saw that I was going to break it at that point. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, I was able, I'm able to unscrew these really easily when the Polaris is attached to them because I've taken them out for the customer before. And, you know, you go to this, you go to use a quick disconnect and all of a sudden the threaded part starts spinning and it comes out of the wall pretty easily. So after I realized that I took the one that had the broken tabs and I held it in with one hand and I put the channel locks around the other end of the fitting that was threaded in and Lo and behold, I started unscrewing it very easily with holding the uh, quick disconnect end into there. So it's no, no longer hollow is the, is the whole thing I'm trying to say. When you're trying to get it out while it's hollow, you're going to crack it because there's nothing that's going to brace the edges or the sides of it as you're trying to spin it out. But if you put the broken quick disconnect part back in and hold it with your hand, because it's not going to hold in there with the tabs broken, and then use the channel locks with something filling up the threaded uh, adapter that goes with the quick disconnect is going to come spin out really easily. Now he didn't do this and of course it's cracked already. So what do you do? They're really difficult to get out once you crack them, but you could use a little saw and you can saw it out and careful not to saw into the threaded part. Or you can use a one and a fourth inch uh, DeWalt wood chisel and get it in there and kind of just chisel it out however you want to get it out. But it's kind of awkward too because you have to kind of get into the pool to get the best angle. You can't really do it that well from above, reaching down a foot and a half, trying to chisel out that fitting. So it becomes one of those things where you're going to have to get into your bathing suit. Hopefully the pool water is warm enough 
And then you're going to have to face that fitting. Hopefully it's not in a deep end. This happens sometimes in a deep end where they put the Polaris um, attachment or the, the return line for the Polaris. But if it's in the shallow end, you can stand there. And then you can use a one and a half, one and a fourth inch wood chisel. Uh, and you can chisel that out of there. And it's pretty effective and you can get it out pretty easily at that point. But it's much easier, of course, to spin it out with my little trick. Again, the whole concept is you don't want to try to spin that fitting out with a pair of channel locks when it's hollow because then there's really nothing holding it and it's going to start cracking as you're you're spinning it. But if you simply just hold the broken quick disconnect part back in there so it's no longer hollow, you can definitely use the channel locks and you can spin it out really easily. I think this is the only way to get them out without cracking them, in my opinion, and it's a highly effective way. And then when you put the new one in, I highly recommend putting Teflon tape around it. And I don't really recommend going all the way into the wall. So I'll go in far enough to where if I'm turning the quick disconnect to get it out of the pool, I'm not actually spinning that fitting. And I don't really like when the builders put them all the way into the wall because te technically it's not necessary and it's very difficult to get them out at that point. Now they do sell a tool. Polaris does have a tool to remove those, but the tabs inside need to be intact. And typically when those quick disconnect break and shoot out into the pool where you can't reconnect the Polaris to the wall, those tabs are broken off in there. And so the tool that Polaris makes for it isn't effective because it only works because it grabs the tabs that are in the fitting. And if there's no tabs in the fitting, there's nothing for it to grab. So my method is highly effective because most in most cases, the tabs are broken off inside that fitting and there's no way to use that player's tool. So I hope you found these helpful. I think I covered a wide variety of topics here and I have other episodes also available where I answer your questions. You can find those by just going to my website, swimmingpoollearning.com. On the banner, click on the podcast icon and you're going to see um, a search box. Just type in YouTube uh, questions and you're going to be able to see all the previous ones that I, I have posted. If you're interested in the coaching program, you can learn more at poolguycoaching.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Have a great rest of your week, and God bless. The Pool Guy Podcast Show. The Pool Guy Podcast Show. The Pool Guy Podcast Show. Yeah! Real quick, if you're not using pool service software, try Skimmer free for 30 days at GetSkimmer.com backslash pool guy again that's get skimmer backslash pool guy skimmer everything you need to run your pool service business all in one app